0: Psalm 119, verse number 25, the Word of God says, My soul
1: cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So we are going to look over the next few weeks on the subject of personal revival. And I think when we consider that subject, it's wise to start by quoting the line of a hymn. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The word frame there, of course, is an old English term used for mood or feeling or emotion. The hymn writer is wise in the understanding of his own experience that to trust even the best of emotional states can be dangerous. Our feelings can be so deceptive and we should never ultimately judge our spiritual states uh, based on our feelings. We may have heightened spiritual emotions and presume that we are right with God when that may not be so. Emotions can be so deceptive. Again, in the modern uh, Christian church, in the broader sense of that, uh, there's all manner of efforts to encourage spiritual emotions yet without a proper grounding, or without even the presence of true biblical holiness. And so good emotions can be deceptive, as can negative emotions. At times we can have the wrong perception of our standings based upon emotions that we may encounter. We must remember at all times, as hymn writer does, my hope was built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness our standing before god is based upon christ's perfect unchanging righteousness and though our emotional state may fluctuate go uh, up and down yet christ's righteousness never changes and so we may find ourselves uh, again somewhat down and discouraged even spiritually but yet praise god we're still accepted in the beloved you see in considering personal revival we may feel dull spiritually But at that time, we may be walking close with God and walking by faith. Our feelings may be misguided. They may be a result of perhaps health issues or some other situation in life. Um, We find ourselves somewhat down and despondent. But yet at that very same time, we're trusting the Lord and we're walking close with the Lord. There may be darkness, and yet the word is light to our souls. So at all times, as we begin this study, at all times, please look to Christ. Lean upon Christ alone. And yet do not be unmindful that personal revival is indeed a biblical thought. Nine times in Psalm 119, you have the prayer that is offered here in verse 25, at least in some form, Quicken me or Quicken thou me. Two other references in this psalm. The psalm is being quickened by God. The Lord hath quickened me in some way. The word quickened is then used in three other psalms. And twice more, the word is translated with the word revive. Again, this theme permeates the experience of the psalmist. The word speaks of life, its root meaning of the word quicken is life itself, and so it is an enlivening desire, a desire for this enlivening that comes from God, and the psalmist is therefore aware of his need, verse 25, quicken thou me, is a prayer arising from an awareness of spiritual need, and that's what I want to deal with tonight that we all must be aware of the need that we have for spiritual, personal revival. The text tonight, verse 25, begins with these words, my soul cleaveth to the dust, or unto the dust. Again, it's challenging language, because, again, we can run different directions from the text based upon uh, perhaps our own assumptions without understanding exactly what the psalmist is referring to. It is clearly a metaphor, a picture of his spiritual condition. He's describing his walk with God here. He's, he's not describing the fact that he himself is lying upon the earth. It's a picture of him and his soul uh, in such a state. But the question is, how is he using the word dust? He's cleaving, he's cleaving, he's joined, glued, if you like, to the dust. And some see it as a description of a state of sin. Bridges, again, so helpful in his commentary in Psalm 119, says, dust is the portion of the world. And he describes the state here in terms of the influence of his evil nature, the power of self-will and self-indulgence, the regard of human praise and a desire for self-admiration, some of those things that he sees in terms of the worldliness that is placed in this text. He says, it's not a matter of despondency, and I'd say, yeah, that's true, because he is looking to the Lord in faith. He hasn't given up here. Another additional thought is not so much that it's sin, but the thought of dust as a mark of grief or sorrow. Again, the cultural practice in that time was, again, to uh, apply dust to yourself if you're in grief or in mourning as a display of your grief. But it's also worth remembering that the very picture of cleaving to the dust is the very opposite of descriptions of spiritual vigor. What is the opposite of lying in the dust? It's flying in the clouds. That picture of spiritual vigor is used in the Word of God regarding spiritual vitality and vibrancy, that they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles, and those that keep the Sabbath day in Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah 58, they are those who delight themselves in the Lord and the Lord cause to ride upon the high place of the earth. And so there's a, there's a parallel here in terms of an opposite, a contrast to be down in the dust is opposite to, to riding upon the heights and mounting up wings like eagles. And so Gil, while he acknowledged the possibility of, a, of describing the sin nature, also states... That it may be someone in a very low state of mind, in great dejection and humiliation, rolling himself in the dust and putting his mouth in it, if there be any hope of deliverance. So he sees this again as a, as a picture of, of really pr- a profound sense of, of spiritual lowness, feeling if you could put it this way, feeling spiritually dead. I've certainly heard that testimony. Dust, of course, having the connection with death. Even in Psalm 22, the dust of death. Dust is connected to human death, of course. And, and so as he's describing the fact that he just he feels dead within himself spiritually. No, no life for the Lord. No life for the things of God. And that would fit very well within the prayer. I feel, I feel dead spiritually. So therefore, quicken now me. Make me alive again in the things of righteousness according to thy word. And I think that is the proper meaning of the text here. I'm not going to argue and fight if you see a different way in this. But I think it is at least very much likely the case describing a state of spiritual dullness. That's confirmed by a parallel over in Psalm 44. And this is the closest parallel in terms of the Psalter to this reference. The psalm 44 and verse 25 is very, very similar language used here. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. And again, the context of the psalm is, again, the sense of being afflicted and the enemies coming upon them, they're blaspheming in the name of God. And there's a concern and a burden. And the, word, the wonder of the, the psalmist is, has God forgotten them? he got this sense of, all oh, these afflictions are coming upon them, and they, they wonder, where is God in it all? Have you forgotten us, O Lord? They understand they've been under the affliction of God. They're being made reproached by the Lord, and these things are, are troubling and burdensome upon them. And so He says, our soul is bowed down to the dust. Now, yes, there's a very particular context there in Psalm 44, but surely the language involves a sense of, of being cast down in despair and in trouble and then looking to the Lord to rise to help. And so in Psalm 119, verse 25, the same idea of being, being cast down, emotionally low in terms of the things of God, and in the desire then that they be quickened and made alive again, according to the Word of God. Now, undoubtedly, there are various reasons and causes in the Christian life for such an emotional state. And part of that may well be a worldly spirit, a, an embracing of the world in our souls will have a profound impact upon our spiritual state. Whatever the case may be as to the cause, the language pictures a believer conscious of their spiritual dullness. I feel dull, dead spiritually, not flying like the eagle, but cast down. It's a person who's aware and conscious of the need for reviving. And so when we think of this matter of being aware, we consider this matter of being aware of the need. I want to first note, please, with you, that this awareness comes by grace. The very awareness is a mark of God's grace. This is often pointed out that the word to quicken or to revive is not a word of imparting life to those who are actually absolutely dead. But rather, it's a reinvigoring of those who are alive. Though they are are ill, they are dull, they are are morbid and comatose, but they're not actually dead. But there's a need for an enlivening of them in some manner. And so it's not an imparting of life, but a reviving of the life that's already there. And so the awareness of the longing for revival is itself a sign of God's grace, just think about this with me. A desire and an awareness of the need for spiritual revival is an awareness of things not being what they could be or should be in our walk with God. We're aware of that. That's the the burden. We understand things are not what they could be or should be in our walk with God. And we can can then ask the question, well, what are the marks of spiritual vigor? What are the marks of spiritual vitality? What does it look like when someone is in a healthy, vibrant spiritual state? What does it actually look like? Well, again, we see examples in the Word of God. Uh, I'm just giving you a flavor of the concepts here, but of course, it will have an impact upon a person's prayer life. Someone who is vibrant spiritually with a prayer life that is constant and confident. You think of the example of Abraham and Jacob and David and Daniel, and of course the Lord Himself. They are marked by a constant, confident prayer life. They pray in faith. They believe that God is, and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, and they, they do so continually. They're praying not just once a, a week or once a year, but they're, they're praying several times a day, setting to have part to, to be in the presence of God. Those who, are, those who are spiritually vibrant have this mark of a vibrant prayer life. Well, they have the mark, of course, also of vibrant Bible study. When they come to the Word of God, they do so with eagerness, and they receive enlightening in the Word of God and they have an experiential benefit from the Word of God. They, they're in communion with God through the Word. They're hearing from God, and they're maturing in their hearing. They're, they're growing from the milk to the meat of the Word, and there's development. This is, this is true spiritual vitality. The Word of God lives. They, they desire and delight to be in the Word of God. They, they want to know, what's the Lord going to say to me today? And then they seek to live that out. In their words, in their thinking, and of course in their actions. A prayer life is vibrant, a Bible study is vibrant, they'll have a devotional life that's vibrant, they'll they'll have a real love for the Lord, a joy and delight in the things of God. They will delight in His house and in His day. They are those who will say they were glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Their love for the Lord is such that they want to be in His presence and praise His name. They delight that His name is lifted up in praise. They want to be where He is exalted. They want to do and share in the community of the saints exalted in the name of Christ. They, they desire to do these things and they're, they're happy to speak about the Savior. They, they love Him and so they're glad to talk about Christ to those who are saved and to the unsaved. There's, there's no barrier in, in them sharing their love for the Savior. They love his house and his name, and they love his people. They delight to share in the fellowship of the saints, and they delight to be in communion with those of like precious faith. They're not isolated or cut off. They're enjoying the the warm fellowship of the saints. These are just some of the marks of spiritual vitality and spiritual vibrancy. I'm I'm trying to improve all those things, but I don't think you'll argue with that. I don't think any of you will say, well, those things aren't true. They're, they're not marks of true, spiritual, vibrant faith. And if we're saved, we recognize these things, and we say, amen, that's true. And we desire these things in our lives. And that's the point. The awareness of a need for spiritual reviving is a desire for the marks of a vibrant spiritual life. But that desire only comes by grace. Who desires to pray and to be in the Word and to worship and love the Savior? Who desires these things truly, but only the child of God? These, these things are marks of God's grace. We have a yearning for them. And if you have no yearning at all for those things, it is more than likely you're still dead in your sins. Because the reborn heart delights in these things. Oh, I'm not what I could or shouldn't be as a believer. We understand that I'm not what I ought to be. We all get that. But the devil says to us we should say, therefore, maybe you're not saved. But the very recognition that we're not what we ought to be is a desire for that which is better. And we only desire for that which is better by the grace of God's. So, begone, devil, begone, unbelief. The desire for spiritual revival is a mark of God's grace, even in the recognition of our awareness that we need these things. I do truly desire a closer walk with God. And that's the life of the child of God. A desire to be there by the grace of God. A desire put there by the grace of God that we can take back to God in prayer. I need this spiritual reviving. Quicken thou me according to thy word. The awareness that comes by the grace of God, the awareness also that comes from a proper understanding of sanctification. We, We might say that this prayer is a near constant experience. It is. We see the psalmist at various points in life praying a prayer like this. And the burden is heart to know a closer walk with God. Well, why is it a near constant experience? Well, because ultimately we're never what we want to be as a child of God. We are never what we want to be as the children of God. You think of the, the language used in Romans chapter 7. You turn across there. We know Romans 7 very well, of course, as the, the trial of the believer at the end of the chapter, uh, as Paul discusses his own experience of remaining sin and the, the challenge he faces in seeking to walk with God. And so often we, we analyze Romans 7 in terms of Paul's experience that he finds himself guilty of sin, we, we fall into sin, we, we, we find ourselves succumbing to temptation, and because of those things, oh, we're, we're just like Paul in Romans chapter 7. But we often miss an aspect of Romans 7 that's not so much about falling into sin as it is about not doing what God wills. You see, look at verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not— For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. So we emphasize the last part of that, the things that I hate and don't want to do, that's what we find ourselves doing. But don't miss the early part. For what I would, the things I desire to do, that do I not. Over in chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Again, I must be, I must confess here, oftentimes I turn people this passage in terms of counseling them regarding their struggles of remaining sin. So say, well, that's Paul's experience. But there are fewer believers who will come and say, I want to pray more, I want to read more, I want to enjoy church more. That's a, that's a less common encounter because we're more tolerant of our lack of obedience than we are of our disobedience. But a lack of vibrant obedience is as much a mark of remaining sin as succumbing to temptation to then do those sins. But the reality that there are things that we want to do and desire to do that we do not, the reality of that is a mark of our remaining sin. Therefore, surely this is a near constant experience. There's always a struggle to do what is right. And that explains the fact that we almost always feel the need for the Lord to revive. We are never what we could be, We are never what we should be in the presence of God. There's never really a time when we can't pray. Quicken now, me. We could always have a closer walk with God. As long as we remain in this flesh, we could always have a closer walk with the Lord. So the awareness again—we're seeing this comes. It comes certainly from God's grace. It, It comes. And a proper understanding of sanctification. But thirdly, it also comes from appropriate self-examination. I presented a view that really makes seasons of spiritual dullness somewhat inevitable. And they are. It's part of God's purpose in our lives, that we seek Him, that we've desired Him, that our hearts go out after Him. And so, yes, spiritual dullness is a usual, normal, ordinary experience for the child of God this side of eternity. But there are seasons when spiritual dullness is a greater concern than at other times. There are seasons when we find ourselves in a state of spiritual dullness that is perhaps, if I can use the language, it's just deeper than others. We are more despondent more cast down. And there may be various reasons for it. And we'll see those reasons perhaps another occasion. But the danger in such a state is that we then become complacent with our condition. Spiritual dullness becomes the norm. And there are those who will give testimony of a backslidden state, that in the initial weeks they were very conscious they were not walking with God, But within a short time, within a few weeks to a month, that became less of a burden on their souls. And so there is the need for regular self-examination in the child of God, that we engage our hearts before God, that if we can take the language of the Proverbs, that we keep, we guard, we watch our hearts with all diligence. We must never become complacent with a state of spiritual dullness, but have the awareness of our need for reviving in our souls because we have an awareness of our need to have a closer walk with God. There is a need for appropriate self-examination, self-examination that keeps in mind what we saw, that it's by God's grace that we desire anything, that it's a mark of our remaining sin that we're not what we ought to be, but yet still a self-examination that is honest, that is marked by integrity, Uh, some examination that uh, certainly occurs at least once a month as we come to the Lord's table. At least once a month we examine ourselves to ensure that we're in a place with the Lord that we ought to be, making assessments of our spiritual state. You see, you think of the opposites of spiritual vigor and vibrancy. A prayer life not that is constant or confident, but is faltering and full of doubts. Bibles that is, that is slow. We're, we're slow to open the Word, and when we get there, we, we get nothing out of the Word. Or if we do see something, we're slow to obey the Word. Our love for the Lord is marked by Dullness, because we have no, we've no joy in God's house, no joy in God's praise, no joy in speaking of Christ to others. We, we get the opposite. So they're very, very clear. And so we ought to engage in self-examination to see, is this my life right now? Am I spiritually dull? Am I cold in heart? Do, do I really, do I feel almost dead within myself? There should be that diligence of spiritual examination so that we don't get to the point a year down the road, we've, we've spent an entire year without being close to the Lord. You say, that, well, that couldn't happen. That happens all too often. And the child of God who goes through such an experience, it happens slowly, but little by little, they don't examine themselves, they don't guard their hearts, and they find themselves far, far away from a close walk with the Lord. You see, what we believe, and I, I preach as often as I can, on the certainty of the believer's spiritual state and justification. But there is also this matter of spiritual revival, a spiritual life in the child of God, an experiential communion with God that is real and vibrant. It's a living Christian life. This awareness, that's the beginning of this, an awareness of our need for spiritual revival comes in God's grace, it comes in the context of our remaining sin. But it might come tonight because you examine your soul. And tonight, you've got to be honest and get before God and say, Lord, I really need a work revival in my soul tonight. Touch me. Move in my heart. Give me a desire for the Savior afresh. I don't want to leave my first love. May God be pleased to help us in His Word again tonight in the coming days.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the Gospel or the Church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.